0: Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 417. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. This week's interview is with Salima Villani. Salima is a keynote speaker, innovation strategist, serial entrepreneur, adjunct professor of design thinking and entrepreneurship, an impact investor, and now author of the new book, Innovation Starts With I, Increase Your Influence, ignite your impact in this conversation with Salima we discuss innovation how it's changed some of the core concepts of our new book including developing a life mission the notion of hydropreneur and why and how entrepreneurship is an accelerated journey of personal transformation you'll find all the show notes on mintrodial.com please do consider to drop in your rating and review and don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes now for the show Salima Velani, great to have you on my podcast. We were introduced by a lady in Maryland, uh, Janet, who said you must have Salima on your podcast. And I got a chance to read in advance your new book, Innovation Starts With I. How would you like to introduce yourself, Salima?
1: Sure. Thank you so much, mentor. Uh, My name is Salima Velani and... If I can introduce myself in one sentence, I would say that my mantra is to help entrepreneurs succeed and everything that I do is connected to innovation and entrepreneurship and and helping entrepreneurs grow their platforms and businesses.
0: So congratulations on your book, which is coming out shortly enough. Um, One of the things which which, uh, got my eyebrows raised was this notion of a lifequake. So I would love for you to tell us what is a lifequake and specifically about your lifequake.
1: Sure. So my lifequake, well, the lifequake notion, it's actually a concept um, that I actually read about. It's in Bruce Feiler's book, uh, Life is in the Transitions. And it was actually when I was interviewing Arianna Huffington as part of the 100 interviews I did for the book. I uh, She really recommended that book and I learned about the concept of lifequake and it really summed up everything that I had experienced uh, a few years ago when my, my experienced life quake. And that was when you know it was a major disruption in my life. And it's not just one event that happens like, you know, a death or um, a job loss. It's like a series of events that happens consecutively where it really felt like I would say before my life crashed, like it literally fell apart. And, and I think that's what a life quake is. Uh, however, some of us view it negatively because it can, it, sh- it definitely feels like a very challenging moment, but. Because all these things are happening at once, it really kind of creates this reorder of your life, and so you have the opportunity to evolve into the next version of yourself. So I see that we're living in this reinvention revolution right now, where we're reinventing ourselves faster and more frequently than ever before. So we're getting more and more of these life quakes, where you can either choose to pro, you can either choose to, you know, approach it proactively and be future proofed, or you know, future proof yourself, or you can do it reactively like i did and then you have to do all this other work to fix it or to to figure out you know your purpose and figure out all this stuff after it all happens
0: well would that we could plan everything but you know i suppose there's that wonderful saying life isn't what happens to you it's how you react to what happens to you exactly so one. want to so let, uh, i also wanted to um talk about your mission so you write Your life mission is to help 1 million entrepreneurs grow their businesses and scale their platforms. Could you tell us how you came up with that mission and maybe how can others come up with theirs? What are the sort of insights that allowed you to come up with your life mission? Because a lot of people tend to struggle to find something that can be the umbrella to their whole life.
1: Yeah. So I think the first thing is to, well, there's a couple of ways you can do this. And I think the important thing here is to find your sweet spot and really find that why, but you analyze the what in order to find that why. I think sometimes you can get lost in a deep sort of uh, self-absorbed introspection when you're trying to really just look within. I think, you know, I talk a lot about this in the book is to really, really approach that process of introspection more actively. So you're actually learning about yourself through other people. So I recommend going on a 100 coffee challenge, which you're going to learn about in the book or often talk about is when you go and talk to different people and um, just have really authentic conversations with people, you know, people you don't know, and especially people that are outside of your industry. And it's through those conversations, uh, you know, if you keep your self-awareness hat on, you're going to learn a lot about yourself, Uh, especially if you ask questions, you know, how do you perceive me? What do you think are my greatest strengths? Uh, You know, you can learn a lot. And so I think going on a 100 Coffee Challenge is key. Practicing the active introspection. Uh, I think also finding your sweet spot I mentioned. So how how do you come up with that mission? I think that starting with yourself, looking at, you know, doing some self-ideation, looking at your passions, your values, your skills, your experience, what makes you unique. And, and you can also try, there's a tool that I have, it's called sweet spot mapping, and it's essentially looking at your life as a series of projects or looking at your career as a portfolio and really identifying, you know, what have you excelled at? uh, What are the things that you've done really, really well? uh, And then also look at, you know, what are the things that other people have said that you've done really well? And sometimes that comes by surprise because people often see us very differently than how we see ourselves. Mm. And then the third is to really think about those projects or anything that you've done, both personally and professionally, things that you really love doing that you would do for free because you love doing them so much. And then the fourth thing, it, this is the most important one, because this is where innovation and growth happens is what are some of those ideas and projects that, you know, you've kept on the back burner for years or you have had in the back of your mind or, you know, you've sort of been like, oh, mm, it's uncomfortable. I know I want to do this, but I don't know how, or, you know, I'll do it next year. And you wake up at three in the morning, sometimes thinking about it, And it's those projects, that's where innovation happens. And that's where, you know, you can reinvent yourself towards that, or you can make that your mission. And for me, that was, you know, helping entrepreneurs, I never thought that, you know, I tried doing it many times, and I failed, or I didn't know how to do it and make it a successful business. And I ended up doing so many other things that at the end of the day, as soon as I focused, and I tested some things and said, maybe I can actually give this a chance. Um, And it, and it, it took off as soon as, you know, my, my business Ripple Impact took off as soon as we started serving and being of value to the entrepreneurs and finding a way to help them accelerate their businesses.
0: It struck me, Salima, in talking, in in reading your book, and and I, I kind of try to get an understanding of who you are. You're a, you're a multivariate person. Uh, obviously, culturally, you speak a gazillion languages, you've done so many things. And I kind of related to that heavily, not that I'm as multilingual or multicultural, but I related to this notion of, of having a quest and a thirst for so many things, and therefore feeling like you can get pulled in every direction because you you kind of can relate into so many different spaces, different people. And so that's why I was curious is how, how you sort of managed to wrap that all down, funnel it down into this life mission thing. And, and you know, uh, you, how culture is in your sentence. And I'm wondering what the process was, the things that you had to eliminate from your life mission. Because uh, it, it seemed, as you write about it, you talk about having so many interests and so many passions and, and somehow being pulled all over the place. What, what, what were some of the things that were hard to eliminate and not include in your huge experience and, and who you are in your life mission?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I think that um, I, I like the concept of what I call being a hybrid printer. So just to break it up, I think that the last couple decades, we've been thinking you either have to be an entrepreneur or be an intrapreneur, you have to do one thing and just do that one thing really, really, really well. Now, yes, sometimes there are in the niches and it is important to have, you know, certain things that you're very good at. Um, Or, you know, we see more and more people that are sort of whatever you want to call them, polymaths, multi-potentialites, renaissance souls, generalists (laughs) generalists <laughs> to keep it simple but uh and different very you know different variations of the skills they have but i think ultimately diversifying ourselves in our skills and being able to this is actually a time for people like myself that were known as generalists and had that negative connotation it's a time for us to rise because we have those skills of adaptability we can embrace those different sides of who we are those different hats that we played and kind of put them into different combinations and original combinations. And and that's essentially what I've done now with, uh, you know, a lot of the work that I do is these different original combinations. Nothing's original, but they're original combinations. And so, uh, and so, yeah, I would say that really embracing the lifestyle of what I call a hybrid printer, which is, you know, the four components of that are in doing, something that you know you can profit a, a profit off of that makes your money or your, your own your living through. And it could be a job, it could be your business, it could be anything, um, your investments, whatever it is. And then, you know, having your passion projects, I think that it's important to constantly have something that you're doing that, you know, that you're embracing your curiosity. I think it involves as well, you know, constant learning and growth. And so taking courses or trainings, going to conferences, constantly learning, uh, will future proof yourself and you'll be able to to find ways to get into you know be involved in the different spaces even if they're not all you know incorporated in what you would call your life purpose or it may not appear that way but it's all like that on the back end and then the fourth component is giving back to the community and, and to you know focusing on having an impact and I think thinking of it I think in those those quadrants I think you know I think that changes everything. And I've, I've, I have I've, know that a lot of people that when I explain this to them, it's changed their lives because they're like, well, maybe having a job is not a bad thing as an entrepreneur because that's something that was shunned for for many entrepreneurs. It's like, oh no, like you're not successful if you have a job or you have to do the nine to five and then build your business at night. And now we're in this gig economy or this very project-based uh, world where you can really get creative with how you want to set your life up. And so if you're doing something that you're very good at, maybe it's not what you're passionate about, but you get paid a decent amount of money and you only have to work a couple hours a day. And then the other things that are going to take more of your time, but you really want to build towards take more hours of your day. Uh, And then, you know, testing things by giving back or doing talks or, or even just, you know, running a podcast or something where you can have those conversations with people. So I think finding the setup that works for you is key. And I think that's how you can kind of all these different parts of, who you are it can come into your mission even if it like for me my mission is to help entrepreneurs uh, but my skills are you know from working for for companies like elance or odas or upwork it was you know helping people build remote teams that's what i did very well out of my crisis in 2009 in italy was building remote teams uh and so doing a lot of these things coming together but no one needs to understand all of that stuff at the end of the day we are the remote team to our customers to our entrepreneurs and so does that make sense? It's sort of like all kind of intertwined and all these different components start to merge, even though they all just seem so different. And if you talked to me a couple of years ago, people didn't understand who I was or what I did. It was so hard to explain it because it just seemed like I was all over the place. But eventually they all just kind of merged in a really cool way. And you have to mm. really figure out how to talk about your mission and, and uh, figure out what story to tell to who you're talking to.
0: Well, I was definitely intrigued by this hybrid paneer concept. It was not something I'd really come across before. So I, and, and certainly having done entrepreneurial activities, myself worked in big business myself, I could see, you know, certainly in myself, a a desire to consider myself something of a hybrid partner to use your term, but give us an idea of, of uh, for you, a hybridpreneur then is someone who is able to be both an entrepreneur and have an entrepreneurial spirit within a big company
1: so i would say that the person that is the entrepreneur inside the company is an intrapreneur
0: right and that's so- why i i just didn't want to use the the term entrepreneur because i, I was i was just defining that term yeah
1: yeah, so so I would say that's intrapreneur, and actually I, I talk about like entrepreneur versus intrapreneur versus hybridpreneur, and hybridpreneur is both an entrepreneur and an intrapreneur. So they're gaining a lot of experience, leveraging company resources to make a bigger impact through. Uh, whether it's a bigger company and sometimes they, they can just be like they can be branded as an entrepreneur, but they have that one customer that is their paying for their big paying client and then all the other stuff is just, you know, bonus or smaller projects or passion projects. And so so there's different ways to set that up. But essentially I think because we're so used to thinking in the old way that you have either a job or you have a business and we just see that a lot, there's just a lot of turnover. Um, it's really hard to retain talent these days in, in many companies because people are wanting to to evolve faster and they're wanting to grow, they're wanting to become an entrepreneur. But then they also realize when they become an entrepreneur how hard it is, and it, you're not going to be as lucky, you're not going to be able to create the next Uber, or Airbnb, or, you know, it's not like, you know, the, the ages, the ages, the era has shifted. And it's also uh, what does entrepreneurship even mean? It's not about just freedom or, you know, all these other things it can be really romanticized and so I try to be very, very, you know, real about what it entails to be an entrepreneur. And, and I think the safest way to do it and, and not just safe, because nothing's really safe. Mm-hmm think the way to leverage uh, being an entrepreneur is to build those relationships by actually serving those larger organizations as well. Because oftentimes you understand, you know, you can make a bigger impact, you have success stories to tell, but you can bring a lot of those back to your business. And so I think it's embracing both, whether you're being more of an entrepreneur at certain times, or more an entrepreneur at certain times, I flip flop. And then sometimes I'm, I'm mostly doing both. Uh, and then sometimes I, I do a little bit more, one or the other. But I think essentially, it's for people that that are passionate about multiple things, and they just can't commit to that one thing. And they, 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 and they know that they just can't be an entrepreneur. And they also just don't want to work for an organization. So it's embracing both.
0: Right, and and I suppose the the you know the people like me, my age, would say, oh, that's compromise. You know, it's, you better make make it make up your mind. And yet, it seems very pragmatic. And I've I personally maybe been a little idealistic about thinking passion projects are. I I don't want to say a mistake. I I kind of think that it's a shame. The reason why I think it's a shame is that we should all be just doing our passion projects. Screw the nine to five regular job where you have to wear a tie or quote unquote and, and, and do the thing that just gets you the money. If you could just find ways to have more passion projects, actually only passion projects, isn't that what we should be aiming for?
1: Yes, I think so. But I think people need to figure out what their sweet spot is so they know where to put their energy. Because I think oftentimes, your passion project might not be the thing that you're very good at. And so you have to figure out how to, you know, when to do things, when to delegate, when to dump, when to delay. And that's another, you know, the four Ds of of time management and really try to figure out where you can how to prioritize your impact. And I think, yeah that's something that oftentimes just doing your passion project are you trying to make an impact and if that is important are you happy with that um and are you doing the thing that you love doing and so um but also you know that you really care about connecting back to your values and so I think that yes people should do more passion projects I spend most of my time doing passion projects some make money some don't or they make other people money and, and for me they're just fulfilling. Um, And you know, like for example, even my company. Like I started it out as a, I started off as a passion project. I was like, well, you know, I have other things that support me, and um, I want to start this out to test it. And instead of just launching a full full company and working on branding and marketing and all that, I'm like, well, let's try to figure out how we can help people be successful. And let's take on, you know, this number of clients as, as entrepreneurs in our accelerator and let's do a, let's run a beta and let's just say, Hey, like we're here to fail. We're here to learn. So keep the expectation low, but also over, you know, under promise over deliver sort of situation. And I think if you're trying to start a business or you have an idea, I think the best way to approach it, and this is some advice from, from Ariana Huffington is to really think about things in micro steps and how do you actually Uh, you know, think of it as steps and or smaller projects that lead up to a business, because then you have an opportunity to test, to fail, to diversify and see like, how is this going to work? I think oftentimes we go right into the business, we start marketing it, we start branding, we're doing all these other things, but we don't have those success stories yet. And once you have those success stories, and you know, evangelists, brand ambassadors, or whatever you want to call them, people that are really happy, because you've served them in some way, You then go through some sort of pivot because then you've learned through that experience and then you go through an iteration, you go through a pivot. And so I think it's really key to to figure out how, if you are trying to start a business eventually or you're an aspiring entrepreneur, start with a passion project. Even if it's writing a book, starting a podcast, something small, uh, just get yourself in a project that you can actually take to completion.
0: So Obviously, your book is really focused on innovation, or at least that's in the title. It did feel that a lot of what you talk about is is less about innovation and more about who I am and and developing myself. Um, I wanted to take a quote that I, I enjoyed from your your book. It's just, we know innovation is critical for our world, for the economy, for our organizations and for ourselves. Innovation is a timeless word, a human word that continues to encapsulate the creative and hopeful spirit, human spirit. The goal of this book is to redefine innovation which is needed now more than ever before. So when I when I read that I was like well actually why is innovation needed now more than ever before? I just I thought I'd sort of just punch in that because I thought innovation's been pretty critical all the time.
1: Yeah. So the goal of when I say redefine innovation or expand the meaning of innovation, I think that oftentimes people think of it like, oh, innovation is more of a technology thing or, you know, innovation is is the iPhone or whatever, but they forget about or they don't aren't aware of the personal transformation process that happens behind innovation. Like Steve Jobs went through that transformation process during his time in India. A lot of innovators, myself included, when that life quake happened to me and my, my house burnt down, everything fell apart. I went on my own, eat pray love. Uh, trip to India, to Bali and and Thailand to find myself, I think that uh, we often don't talk about self-awareness or introspection and and those things. And and that's such a critical part of innovation. And a lot of us now are, are, you know, with everything happening in the world, we're spending a lot of time on our own. And we really have to know ourselves, our strengths, and we have to innovate ourselves more frequently than ever before. And so I think the book is essentially to help people innovate themselves. And, and, not think about innovation as something that's just necessary for um you know for economic growth or for technology but that we all have to have that that mindset that shift that happens within us and be able to 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 bring that out proactively versus waiting for things to happen or not even be aware that you can be proactive about that process by developing those 12 capabilities throughout the book
0: so would it be fair to say that it's it sounds for me more like reinvention as opposed to innovation is that would be a fair statement
1: yes and i think that even though when i started writing the book because i was more in the field of innovation when i started writing it and then I shifted more into, you know, serving entrepreneurs and, and shifting a bit of my own work throughout the book process. And it's interesting because I transitioned myself through the book and had to figure out who am I now or design who I was going to be. And so I went through my own shift in the book. And so I would say, yes, the the probably a more honest title, if I could change the title now would be something like the reinvention revolution or um, how to become a hybrid printer or the 12 future proof capabilities, because that's essentially what the book is about and innovation. It is technically some people call it an innovation book for entrepreneurs because it teaches a lot of, it takes a lot of components of innovation and you can use those components or those concepts or frameworks to apply them to your life in some way. But yes, it's, it's not a book about traditional innovation at all.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that, that that was very clear for me and which, which was very fun because it really it kind of cast a different look on what is innovation and another phrase that i that grabbed my attention we wrote entrepreneurship is an accelerated journey of personal transformation and i was trying to lean into that and think you know how has being an entrepreneur in my life been transformative and I I would love for you to explain or express how, how that happens, because it's not necessarily clear for me that it was personally transformative. It, it certainly became an interesting chapter in my life because you're, you're learning something else, you, you have a new path, but tell us in your words, how it becomes a, 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 such a, transforma- a personal transformation.
1: Yes, I think that entrepreneurship also needs some redefining or some, you know, adding meaning to what it is today because of people wanting to become entrepreneurs and not so much to set up a shop and even to make money. Some people just want to embrace the lifestyle of an entrepreneur because they they like that autonomy and like the certain amount of freedom or a certain amount of creativity that's associated with it. Uh, being able to to really design, you know, the life that you want to live or live on your terms, you see a lot of this um, happening right now in the world. And so I think that's essentially, yeah, the, the personal, the acceleration of the personal journey. I think that usually, or a lot of entrepreneurs that I've worked with, at least in my own experience, there's a certain amount of personal growth associated with it. And especially this is very much the case for, for, for people that are solo printers, people that are, you know, coaches or consultants or, speakers authors especially and they're trying to to share a message and they're trying to they have a vision they want to share with the world and in the as they do that they also have to figure out well maybe they're not coming from a traditional business background where they know how to set up and run a business Uh, they might not know how to open a storefront business per se but they have to know how to really run a business and and they they simply don't know how so there's this whole Um, you know, process that happens to not only learn about all that, but the internal process of how do you do that? It's a lot of getting out of your comfort zone. It's a lot of really finding your uniqueness and, and bringing it out into the world. And it's a really uncomfortable process. Like myself, just even a few years ago, I would never have imagined being on a stage, sharing myself publicly. I was a very private person. I, even when I did have, you know, successful businesses, some failed, some were successful I'd say that there was always some sort of, uh, you know, personal transformation that happened, but not not as much as when I became more aware of who I am or who I'm becoming. I think that before I've I've done it in a way that it was sort of survival mode and and ways to kind of, you know, make things happen, uh, especially during crises. But I think that when I tried to become an entrepreneur intentionally and I realized how hard it was to become an entrepreneur again, even though I had done it in the past, Uh, I went through that personal transformation process and it took a few years. And I see a lot of other entrepreneurs go through it as well. So it's not so much the practical things of how to really set up shop and and all that. It's a lot of dealing with imposter syndrome, building resilience, a lot of these emotional skills that we have to develop that you you don't always get access to, to trainings and to workshops and to, you know, experiences. You really have to you have to take care of yourself. You have to do all that yourself and figure out how you want to create your own community and support system around that.
0: Mm. Well, there's nothing like failure as a lesson, right? To learn. And then it, it did strike me as I was listening to you about the the notion of being an, an author or a speaker. There's an element of nakedness. and And when you are trying to raise money, for example, for your startup, you are putting your name on the line. And, and in that moment of, of trying to sh- share or gain the trust of people to put money into your business, mm-hmm. you, there, it is. A, there's an element of rawness. And I think that's, that's a really interesting point for me. I like that. So um, uh, one of the uh, things I wanted to ask you about also was uh, about your book, because interesting choice to go through Indiegogo, and self-publish. You seem to have got a lot of people subscribing to your program on Indiegogo. Tell us, because I've never done a book through Indiegogo, what was your experience? Pluses and minuses? Do it over again?
1: Definitely never do it again. Uh, I think it was a a once-in-a-lifetime thing that I would do to raise money during a pandemic to make this book a really successful product and also to pre get a lot of pre-orders and, and, you know, during a time when it's really, you know, it's, we're in the economic crisis, but it's also very much a book that people said was necessary and I needed to have it at the quality and to be able to have a community and, you know, the book launch right uh and and have a really good quality book and so it was it was hard because you know as i started the project myself as you just invested it in myself and and i used to travel the world and um, really try to do a lot of research to get different stories and make it a global book and i realized that it was going to be really hard to get a publisher being a first-time author and i didn't want to spend a lot of time and resources trying to get a publisher When I said, well, you know what, it's going to also take away from the creativity that I'm a very creative person and I love art and I love different things. And I said, I want this book to be very visual. I have a vision for it. And I didn't want that to be taken away. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to self-publish it and build a platform, uh, which my, my initial editor had suggested I do a couple of years ago when I started working with him was like, you have to build a platform because you don't expect your book to go on Amazon and people will just know who you are and so I decided to stop being so private about everything online and I said you know I'm going to start building this platform and go the self-publishing route and prove that yes self-publishing can be successful a lot of people were like nope um, it's not seen very well it has this and that I'm like well I'm going to do it right I'm going to bring in a peer review process which I bring from my traditional research background I'm going to bring in a lot of different components and I'm going to build a team to help with all the things I'm not great at. And we're going to make this, um, you know, we're going to do this, this way. The, the crowdfunding part was very interesting because I went back and forth about that. It was very difficult to go and make that decision, but ultimately a lot of the advice was you should do it. You have the platform and it's important to get traction, you know, to know, to not only help shape the rest of the book, cause I was still in the process of finishing it at the time. But I think also to have the support, the accountability, the community uh, to really test. Uh, got a lot of people that were part of that campaign and that process. They, they became part of the book journey. Uh, people like yourself, you know, it built a lot of awareness. And so I think that ultimately I highly recommend doing a crowdfunding campaign. If you are self-publishing, if you have the platform, you have the system, you have the strategy, like we had a very, really good strategy right before we launched, we changed our strategy to have pre-orders versus sponsors because we knew there were different audiences, so many different audiences that we had to target. And then we also had to figure out what's the right message to tell them. We had to figure out how to, you know, so many different aspects of it. And it was very, very challenging. Uh, you need a lot of resilience because most people will reject and not support compared to But then the few that did, and that's, you know, we did raise almost $40,000 and we did have, uh, I think it was 700 or so, so there several hundred people that, that supported the project. But it was a hard, it was a hard process. Um, And so would I go through it again? No, but I can advise other people on how to go through it. And I think it is, it was, I'm really happy that we did it. But it was, it was, it was hard.
2: (laughs) Mm,
0: Sort of like being an entrepreneur.
1: Yeah, very much so.
0: So the last uh, zone of questions, if I could, uh, Salima, it would be around this notion of private person you You go from private person to author, big platform out there kind of lady. What would you say to other people who tend to be more private about their lives? I think of the caterpillar changing, right? They're very, you know, keep it to myself discreet. Um, I'm imposter syndrome I kind of read into your private side before you sort of allowing yourself, Permission to speak your stories, tell your stories, get out there. What would you say to people who hold a rather private view of their lives and and aren't at this point willing to or ready to go out there?
1: Yeah, so I think it sounds a lot like myself being private for many years, or helping other people shine, and me staying behind the scenes or behind my computer. I think that it's great to do it. Uh, not everyone you have to kind of wait for that moment to arrive where you're like, okay, if I don't do this now, I'm not going to be as successful with my vision. And for me, I saw it, I had to change my mindset about it being, you know, from self-promotional or wanting attention or wanting pity or wanting, you know, I, 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 I thought that for a long time, I just don't want to be self-promotional. And then I saw a different perspective and I was like, you know what, when I did my first keynote, and this was something I invited to and I wasn't trying to become a speaker or anything like this. It was interesting because I realized that I could have a lot of impact by sharing my story and sharing my message, sharing myself, and just being present in front of a community of people that really resonated with my message and I was like, wow, this is extremely fulfilling internally to see that I can have this impact. but people said their lives changed after that talk and I was like, wow there's a lot that can happen. And so I said, well, now I tell other entrepreneurs or or people in general, you know, if you, especially now in this virtual world, uh, if you don't do it, then you can still live your life and you can do, you know, you can still be successful. But I think ultimately if you want to have a bigger impact and influence more people and you care about that and you're willing to step into that discomfort, find a way to do it in micro steps. So for me, what I did was I didn't want to be involved with making a personal brand and all that. So I built a team to help me with that. I immediately got like an assistant to help uh, work on the personal branding and all that stuff that I said, I don't really want to like, it, I'm still not comfortable with it, but let's do it. And let's start rolling it out and testing things and, and seeing how that goes. And I said, you know, you don't have to do it all yourself. And that's where it's important to to find support along the way, find communities that can um, that are, you know, holding you accountable that are doing similar things. And so I think ultimately when you have a brand and you have um, an audience in a community or a platform, you can pick the projects that you want to work on. You can be like yourself CEO in a way you can, you you can own your life and, and your work. And I think that there's something beautiful about that because you can figure out where to prioritize your impact and what you want to do versus doing things the more traditional way or applying for jobs. Now you'll actually attract opportunities or projects or clients. And I think there's, there's something important there. And I think the people that do that, or that are future proofing themselves, they will succeed uh, more likely than than not doing it or having to do things the other way. But I think that ultimately it's up to the person themselves if they want to go that route.
0: What I um, I detected was in what you said. There's this notion of I don't want to be like one of those self promoting, you know, a holes that you know just uh, he's always talking about himself, personal brand, yada yada yada. So there was that sort of that image. And the other one is well almost the imposter syndrome, like, well, why is my story of interest? And you have that sort of awakening when you tell a story. And there's a sentence I love in your book. You say, story is like a computer program that you load into someone's mind so that they can play it using their own input. And I I very much enjoyed that whole chapter around storytelling and, you know, giving the license to. and, And for people who feel very private, there's that sort of like first moment that like you had when you, you bring your story out and they're like, oh, my God, actually it does have an impact. And, and you rewrite, in your case, the, the the imposter syndrome. Like, well, actually, it does count. It doesn't need to stay within my caterpillar mode. It can come out and it can, as a butterfly, uh, shed light and, and and color other people.
1: Yes, exactly. And that, that quote is actually by Annette Simmons, an author who wrote The Story Factor on the computer program and all what you just mentioned that was a, a really a quote that really uh struck me which I included in that chapter and yes I think that we have the ability to to design our story to test what direction we want to go in and I think it comes down to like you said the book is a lot of figuring out you know who am I because it, we're no longer or we are not onions we're ripples and so we're not uh what I had learned in therapy or you know if your personal development uh, work was that we are like onions and we're peeling and peeling and peeling these layers to find this core and it just didn't make sense to me because i said well i feel like i've changed but then people say sometimes you can't change who you are you are who you are and i was like no i really do think people change and i think that we see that happen because the world is changing faster than we thought and I think people as a result are also changing and or they change themselves and so I think certain things you'll maintain but I think ultimately yeah I think that you know going from who I was to who I'm becoming to who I want to be I think that that's that's really important to to learn that skill of storytelling and not just how to tell the story but really how to live the story that you want to tell
0: Hmm, lovely so Salima, how can someone follow you, get your book, track you down? What would you like?
1: Yeah, thank you. I'd say the best thing to do is follow me on social media. So it's at Salima Balani on. I'm most active on LinkedIn. Also, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and on www.innovationstarswithi.com. There's uh, my personal website as well. And and yeah, the book will be released in, in later this spring. And so, uh, yeah, it's available for pre-order right now, still on IndieCogo.
0: Congratulations, Lima. Lovely. Thank you for sharing your story, your um, path. It's a, it's a wonderful inspiration and um, look forward to staying in touch.
1: Thank you so much, Mature. It was lovely being on your show.
0: Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on mintodial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man.
2: I'm a convinced man, competition's innate, a convinced man, in the arms of a woman, despise revenges and struggle to see, live for the challenge so life's not incomplete, what's wrong with challenge, I know soon we all die. feel of a stranger tucked around me precipitating the danger to feel free trusting my reason and let me show you why I'm a convinced man practicing my line